This episode is brought to you by the generosity of our listeners. If there's a calling for you, the thing that we all need is the courage to take action. That's Sangaram Bajre, marketing geek, author, and co-founder of Terminus on this episode. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. This is your co-host, Larry Gates. Along with Armin Asadi. We're so happy you can be a part of this show. We have with us today, Sangram Vajri. Sangram is a passionate marketing geek. I think you'll find out. Along with me, I kind of enjoy uh, our conversations. We've had him on this program before. Uh, he is the co-founder and chief evangelist of Terminus, a software-as-a-service platform for account-based marketing. Now, if that doesn't mean anything to you, don't worry. There's going to be a little bit of conversation about all that in this episode, but we are really focusing in on how did Sangram start Terminus. And before co-founding Terminus, he had led the marketing team at Pardot through its acquisition uh, through Salesforce.com. And he is the author of account-based marketing and his latest book, ABM is B2B. We'll talk briefly about that in this episode. But right now, we want to just get to the program and welcome Sangram Vajri back to the Bold Idea Podcast. Welcome, Sangram. Thank you, Larry. I'm excited to be on. Uh, it's not always that you get to be on podcasts that you yourself want to to listen and be part of. So I'm excited to be on. Well, so glad you're here. We last spoke with you about a year ago, and we had a lot of great conversation about how we can create a culture where ideas can be formed as a team and uh, people, and, and it creates stickiness around the ideas. A lot of good stuff you shared back then, but I, I wanted to have you back on the program, Sangram, because A, uh, I think we really clicked with respect to our respective spaces. We're both kind of marketing geeks and I think geeking out in our own way there. But we're going to try not to let that overwhelm the conversation today for the benefit of our listeners who are not overly marketing geekies. Geekish. AKA Armin is too Ar- dumb to Ar- stay up with the conversation. <laughs> you the, can just say it. The, the, it's okay, Larry. I will admit to I, it. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to say you represent a whole different breed of animal that um in, in any case. Here we go. We're going to talk about what happened to get you started in the business terminus. So before we get there though, Talk about what Terminus is so that our listeners have an idea of what you're doing right now, Sangram. Absolutely. So uh, Terminus is an account-based marketing platform, which which sounds pretty heavy at, you know, for a non-marketer. But essentially, all it means is that, look, if, if you are today an organization who knows your ideal customer profile, the exact number of companies that you can serve, then the reality is you shouldn't be trying to get in front of anybody but those companies. Um, As a matter of fact, Forrester, which is a well-known research firm, came out with a study that said that less than 1% of the leads that marketing and sales generate turns into revenue, which another way said is that 99% of what marketing and sales does in most organizations doesn't drive revenue. So that's a very gut-wrenching fact, and unfortunately, it's a fact. And what we are doing through Terminus is really helping customers to target the best customers they can serve based on what 
people who, who they serve the best and then get their message in front of them through digital channels like LinkedIn and others and just be front and center of them and give analytics at the account level, at the company level, who they want to serve the most. So they're just laser focused on the accounts. They can not only serve the best, but also uh, have fun doing it. All right. Now, if you're not a marketing geek, you might not have caught all of that. Yeah, but that's, that's why I have questions right now. Basically, <laughs> Sangram is putting together a platform that helps businesses accelerate how they get their leads and uh, and how they close those leads. And what I really want to dive into, because I want to hear about how this platform and this company that you created has grown since you started it. How long ago did you start Terminus? Oh, right about 2014. So mm -hmm. it's uh, coming up to five years. Yeah. So you're at the critical five-year mark. I mean, most 90% uh, of companies don't make it past the first year. Hey, hey. And, uh, yeah, I definitely crossed that boundary, so that's good. Yeah, you did. So tell us about that first year, because if I remember in our conversation, you said something about your wife putting uh, putting a deadline on you. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, okay. Wait, wait. Hang on, hang on. You, you got to let the slow people catch up here, okay? So you said 99% of sales and marketing strategies don't work. So what is the current model that's not working? <laughs> I, I have to understand this because I'm probably doing that. Yeah, well, I mean, it is unfortunately a study and gone through a ton of different experimentation to really verify. It's not that 99% of the strategy is not working. It's that 99% of the leads that most organizations generate as a result of their marketing and sales efforts don't drive revenue, which means only 1% of their customer, of the people that are coming through the funnel are turning into customers. And when you look at the conversion rates in most organizations, it literally goes something like this. All right, we got 100 leads that we got at the top. All right, 50 of them are not even in the industry we can serve. So let's just, they ju they're just probably interested in this ebook or whatever. So those 50 are not the right ones. Of the other 50 that are probably right, let's look at who of them we can serve. Oh, 25 of them are, are, are in SMB. We only serve mid-market um, and the other one are enterprise. So there's only 25 who could be possibly served. All right, so let's focus on 25. And then of the 25 that you could possibly serve the best, which is mid-market, uh, we don't serve the financial services sector. So three or 10 of them are not no longer a, a really good prospect for us. So now we only are left with 15. And within 15, if they don't have time or if they don't have budget or if this is not the right like opportunity for them or if the right people are not in, in place, they're not going to even look at it. And that's really the math. If you really tear, look at you, every com most company's ma model, that's where it breaks down. They look at 100 and say, all right, we need to get 100 more. But nobody really asked the question, are these the right people? Are these the right accounts that we can close? And when they do, you can see this deduction that happens, which reduces, really comes down to 10 customers. So what we try to help companies do is that, let's just do this deduction for you. So instead of you saying, hey, give me 100 accounts to go after, we're gonna say, we're gonna give help you identify the 15 accounts that you should go after, who you can serve best, it fits in your ideal customer profile, they're in the industries that you have done really well, you have case study and data points for them, and they are in market looking at a solution like yours. So now the win rate for these accounts would obviously go higher, and thereby the results are spectacular for a lot of the customers that, that we serve. So that is unfortunately the, the other, the, the part of where deduction is so important for you to know 
who are you serving? And if you don't ask these questions of like, oh, are they in the right vertical? Do can we serve them? Are they even in the same geolocation? Are they at the right level? Then what happens is sales team just goes after everyone with the same intensity. And what happens is really you just have less than 1% turning to customers. So Larry's been talking to you about how I do my business and you created this just for me. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> just for you. I, mean, I feel like it's, uh, it's, I remember listening to Andy, uh, Andy Stanley once. He said, it's like a preacher's burden. So I feel like I have a marketer's burden right now on my heart of like, this is a problem that unfortunately needs to be up leveled and it should be a CEO problem, not a CMO problem. Yeah, and of course you suffer from the same challenge that you have try, or you're trying to solve for your customers, right? Because there's literally nearly every company that sells business to business can use what you're offering, right? Yeah, I think for, for us, we have been very careful about that. And we have said that, hey, look, we have to apply this to ourselves. So companies that we can't, we will say, we're probably not a best solution for you is, is one, if you're not serving B2B, which means you have no finite number of customers, you think everybody should be your customer, like you're selling a Nike shoe. Well, then we are not a great solution for you. Now, if you say, oh, we go after, let's just use the same example, Fortune 500 financial services industry in North America. Oh, we now we can help you with identifying those accounts, getting your message in front of them directly and showing which of these accounts are engaging. So your sales team has a prioritized list of accounts to go after. So now we can make you really efficient business. But if you don't know who you're serving, then we are like we, we kind of pretty much say, hey, go back to the drawing board figure out who your best serving are, and we're going to help you with the next stage, which is how do you get in front of them and how do you find more like them or how do you find people like them who are in market looking for it? Okay, so we have a platform in your business, Terminus, that you've grown over the last five years. And I want to talk about the journey that you went on to create this company. Because as you and I were talking recently, I think it's a fascinating story that you went through. And before we kind of go back to the origins, I'm just wondering, now that you're at five years or a little over five years since you started your business, what did you expect it to look like when you first started it five years from when you started? In other words, does it square with what you originally thought the business was going to look like? I mean, that's a really interesting question. I haven't, honestly, I haven't put too much thought into that. Um, I almost feel like we, at least for me, I can say that I literally was trying to survive day one day over another. Um, and I had this, this in, like, you know, just to share the same story that I shared with you earlier was, you know, when I was at Salesforce, right? Like mm-hmm. I went, I was running marketing at Pardot before this and we got acquired by Exact Target, and then Exact Target got acquired by Salesforce for about 2.6 billion, which I didn't make any money because I was not on the, the super executive team. Mm-hmm. but. I was part of the whole transition. And we went from this 100 people company all of a sudden to this iconic brand. And I had a blast working at Salesforce for a couple of years. And then I go meet these two co-founders of Terminus. Terminus was started three months, uh, three to four months prior to me joining. These two amazing technical founders of Terminus who are building a technical solution for advertising. And I see that at a startup event and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is a full-blown product. It's not a services, it's not a, a solution, it's a product. And they're like, well, if you feel that passionate about it, why don't you come join us? Hmm. That really made me recognize, oh my goodness, I need to make a decision here. So at that point, because I was at Salesforce, 
my wife wasn't working. We just had our second baby, our daughter, Kiara. She was four weeks. Um, you know, we just, she was just for four weeks, right? So mm-hmm. I had to go back to her, my wife, and say, hey, look, you're not working right now. We're at Salesforce. Um, we're making all right money. But here's the thing. I made. I just met these two amazing people. I want to go join as a co-founder and restart this company, reboot this company, which means that you need to go find a job because we, we can't afford the kind of life you're living right now. And <laughs> we can't really do the things that we want to do with our existing like kid and everything that's going on in our life. And I'm going to really regret if I don't do this right now because I really feel I understand the problem better and clearer than anything else ever before. And I remember having that conversation with you. And again, mind Kiara, our daughter was just four weeks old at that time and my wife wasn't working. So she's like, all right. And we had this one week of this negotiating back and forth conversation. And I remember Larry really clearly she coming down one day and say, all right, you're going to regret if you don't do this. I'm like, I, I really do believe that I'm going to regret and I don't want to regret. She's like, I don't want you to regret either. Go do this thing that you want to do. But here's the thing. I'm going to go find a job. I'm going to make sure that we have food on the table. I'm going to do what it need, takes to help you. And, and we, need to, we need to do this together. So I'm going to do what I need to do. And she literally found a job in two weeks. And we put our daughter in a daycare, like, which was not at all part of the plan. Mm-hmm. But she said, you have this one thing. You have to show me this thing has legs within one year. Otherwise, you're going to go find a real job. And when she said that, it was like, fire underneath me, right? Mm. Like she literally gave me the extra, if I needed any, she gave me the extra boost and fuel to say that here's my wife who he could, she could literally say no and I would do whatever it takes to kind of keep going with our uh, family, keeping them first. But literally she's putting our daughter, which wasn't a plan, in a daycare to go and finding a job and getting to work within two weeks of, of the like six weeks of delivering a baby. And here I am not making a lot of money trying to go do this thing. And she puts a timer on me. That was like the ultimate and the best thing she could have done for me. And, and now five years into and kind of backing into your question, I feel like every day I wake up quite honestly thinking that this is not done yet. Obviously, clearly we have passed the one year mark and we have done fine going into it. She's still working. <laughs> I'm still working and, uh, and and we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. So that's all good news. But to me, I work every day because I feel like she gave me a chance that I did not deserve. And I want to just do right by her by making this into something that uh, is far bigger than what either one of us imagined. So her supporting you and getting behind you, was that uh, that kick in the pants kind of motivator for you to, to say, hey, I've, I've got something on the line here and I've got a woman who's stepping up to the table and and she's putting everything out there, and, and, and I've got to put everything out there, too. That's what yeah. me and my friends call a Spartan wife. Know, have you ever seen the <laughs> yeah, movie 300? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the, wife, the queen comes up to the queen, hands him his shield, and says, <laughs> with it or on it. Uh-huh. Yeah, my wife has probably done that to me multiple times, and that sounds like what Sangram's wife did to oh, him. I know. So, <laughs> sounds so much like Anna, too. I just tell you, it's great to have women who are, who are strong and, um, and, and know how to motivate their men. <laughs> That's right, Spartan wives. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, what, what also is interesting about all of this, guys, is that when when this thing happened, I remember like just, just the first year, what this thing can do for somebody. And as, as we think about the audience listening to it, is that when you put a timer on something, I think magical things happen. 
because you don't like I didn't have a plan B like the thought of finding another job at that moment when I was so passionate about this thing was like a, a death wish right like, this is this is not happening so I remember the first year uh, we wrote a book and this is the second book we, we have written right so we wrote the first book on account based marketing in 2016 20, 2015 but nobody even knew about account there wasn't even a google search on that topic uh, much so anything we did like four conferences in four cities san francisco boston atlanta and i think austin um calling flip my funnel as that event spreading the gospel of abm everywhere we went and the whole point was because if people didn't know about us we need to go to them with the message so we went to like four different cities to bring this message of why account based marketing is important how people can use it leverage it not talking about a product but talking about the problem and i don't like looking at it hindsight right now i don't know a single company since i've kind of looked at it and i've asked others and researched I don't know of a single company out there that that has put in four or five events in the first year, written a book on the category, and I can all trace back to that one conversation with my wife, Manmeet. She's telling me that this has to work in order for you and us to continue this path. I think it just changes equation. I don't think that we would have done some of the things. We, would, we wouldn't have gone so far as we did in the first year, which pretty much fueled the rest of the growth for our company. I'm I'm just taking notes here, uh, Sangram, on what the risk profile must have looked like for you as you were evaluating Terminus in that first year. So here's what I have. You had uncertain income, right? Yeah. You had unproven partners, because these are people you just relatively met, weren't they? Yeah, and 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 neither of them have ever done a startup before. Okay. You can add that to the okay, list. Okay, so unproven experience. <laughs> okay. I'll add that and to the list. No funding. You had no funding. Uh, we just had about okay. early three hundred K uh, funding for like a really bootstrapped thing. Okay. So no okay. real funding. No real funding. Unproven idea. Oh, 100%. It's a uh-huh. completely new category. Uh, yeah. There's a, no market. In an unproven market. Great. Yeah. So Sangram, uh, I have an opportunity for you. <laughs> We're yeah. looking for a business partner. <laughs> hey, we, actually, we actually know we don't have to tell Sangram what the opportunity is. <laughs> because like you check all the boxes of where the risk is at and the risk profile is like on this one. 100%. 100%. <laughs> Sorry, 99.99. What, what else did I miss that maybe you'd want to take out of the risk profile? <laughs> no, tell me where to sign. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> is- <laughs> Sangram, we love you. Let's just go. Yeah, and all the responsibility is on you, Sangram. It's going to be a great partnership. Yeah, you're going to love it. And your wife (laughs) is going to, you know, his wife's going to work for you, so. (laughs) Or kill you. (laughs) Or kill you. Totally, man. I think think it goes back to, like, just the, I just felt the pain so intensely around the marketing. This, This really started when I was with, with, obviously, Salesforce, and I remember we hit every single record there was from a lead generation perspective and i was celebrating with my team like hey we we generated thousands of leads for our company and you know obviously sales was a big company and revenue was going up and great and the very next day my sales leader comes to me and says sam that was fantastic what you and your team did uh next next month can you generate thousand more leads and I just sank in my seat that day because I felt like this just makes me a coin-operated lead machine, which I did not think was. I mean, what was wrong in that picture was 
we had no idea how many people we could sell. So all of a sudden, we're just like, give me more leads, give me more leads. And it was like, well, we, there are no more leads. They're like, we have exhausted the world. Who could, who could buy software right now? We're such a big company. So it's more about how do we close more deals should be the conversation, not give me more leads. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that really led me to this, like, this is an epidemic and this is a problem. So I honestly feel to date, what drives me is the idea that there is a problem market fit. And that's really what was I was trying to prove in the first year by writing a book and doing these conferences was to prove that there was a problem, which essentially means there's a market for it, not product market fit at all. Like I didn't, we didn't even have a proper product for the first year of our existence. We didn't even talk about our product. Even today, when we do our conference, we have a thousand plus people attend our conference now. And we don't even talk about our product because the product is is just a byproduct. It is something that can help you solve something, but it's more of a problem. Like we have to change the way marketing and sales operates. And we are still a majority of the market doesn't think about it this way, which is which makes us having more opportunity to win in the marketplace. But that was a problem that I faced front and center when I was at a, a really iconic company and I I couldn't shook it off. I, I felt like we have to go do something about it. So let's take this app and, and abstract it out of the sales and marketing specifics that you have. Because it seems like what you were able to do, Sangram, is to look at a situation and know there was something wrong with it. If intuitively or logically or however you reached that conclusion, you knew that there was a problem. And, uh, and it sounds like you, you saw that in a way that other people didn't quite see the problem because they were looking at it through a certain lens. And what you were able to do is bring, upon a, a, bring out a different lens by which to look at the problem. Is that right? Right. I mean, it's almost like the, the, the famous Henry Ford kind of thing, right? Like if you ask Henry Ford, or I think he said it famously, that if we asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Mm-hmm. This is no different. Everybody mm-hmm. said more leads. Right. So it was just that people couldn't see there was a different opportunity, different way to look at it. And, and and somebody had to come in or something had to happen in order for people to see that maybe the way we're looking at things is not right. And that required a completely radical shift um, in a completely different direction. And I'm still struggling with that. And one of our biggest challenges is not that we have a lot of competition. It's the status quo of people thinking that this is the way it should be. This is what I'm still five years into it, are struggling with with a ton of our customers out there is that they feel like, well, this is the way it's done for the last 20 years or 30 years. And they are just not seeing through still a lot of times a newer way. And the companies who do see it, they're having a competitive advantage because they're way ahead of their com- uh, competitors. Yeah. So for those of us looking for a bold idea in life, one of the applications of what you've described in terms of what you did was you seized upon a bold idea by realizing that the the question being asked was the wrong question. Yes, exactly. It was not only a wrong question, uh, in, in, but it's also assumed that there was just no better way to do it. We boxed ourselves, marketers and sales, we boxed ourselves into like, this is your job, this is how you should do, this is how you're gonna be measured on. 
and thereby if you're going to be getting measured on number of whatever the number is or whatever the thing you're measured on then people are just trying to fine-tune it operationalize it improve upon it you're just not working on the right problem so whatever you do is just maybe incrementally do something but the real application to me um, guys is is the fact that there's a lot of times there are exponentially better ways to do things we just have to completely take our blinders off yeah, and get out of the status quo as you're describing it and find ways to think fresh about the situation that um, that you're in or somebody else might be in. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. Hey, y'all, this is Armin and Larry here. We just want to thank you for being a part of our podcast journey here at the Bold Idea Podcast. And uh, we would love to remain a ad-free podcast. So if this is a podcast that you're enjoying, would love to keep it ad-free, please go to boldideapodcast.com forward slash donate and help us keep it ad-free. And this was not an ad. <laughs> So you 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 started your first year. Your wife gave you the ultimatum and said, "I'm giving you a year," and uh, and that was exciting for you. Off to the races, like we talked about with unproven partners and product and market and all that sort of stuff. What happened next, Sangram? How did you kind of mobilize the energies around deciding what you needed to do next in this business? You know, one of the things that happened during this time was this, uh, again, I feel it's godsend, is this idea that, as you said, there's so many reasons why we shouldn't exist. And you counted just a few. I can give you a whole laundry list of things why we shouldn't even exist today. Um, but I feel like what, what was really interesting is when I was on a flight from San Francisco to Atlanta, I was, um, it's a five-hour flight, and I was stuck in a middle seat, and I had two incredibly drunk people next to me and there was no wi-fi so that was the situation i was for five hours <laughs> and the reason <laughs> reason i shared that is because you to get you and the audience a picture of that and i was like all right what do i do to be productive or at least act like i'm doing something productive because this is not working out and i'm, I'm like it's just going driving me crazy so i had a, I had a napkin and a pen so i started to draw a the traditional funnel or in for everybody like whatever is the way the problem that exists in the marketplace or the way the business is done i just started to draw this this funnel that exists in marketing and sales from millennia and out of pure curiosity or boredom um, i just flipped it and i called it flip my funnel because funnel is something very well known in the marketing and sales space so i just call it flip my funnel and I came up with my own stages and I feel like 100%, it, 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 there was no reason I could have come up with that unless it was God, like it's just no way. Because if nobody has ever challenged it, who am I to challenge it and why would I be the one to do it? Like there's just no real, I'm not even, I don't even have a marketing background um, it, to kind of do that. So well, that's probably, the, that's probably the good successful. thing for you in that regard. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we just came up with this idea of flip my funnel and what what really happened in the first year was when we were launching Terminus, nobody would sponsor our event. And nobody, because we are a product company, obviously, and people didn't want to associate with a product company, that's unproven. 
So I just bought this domain called Flip My Funnel for eight bucks and went to the same exact companies to say, would you sponsor a conference that says Flip My Funnel around a problem of changing the way marketing and sales works? And everybody, everybody said, oh yeah, that's totally fine. If you get to speak and if you can do the, if you can do the legwork, we're fine. So the first four conference guys, we didn't pay a dime. The first four cities that we went to, we didn't pay a dime. It was all sponsored, all taken care of. We still were able to be on the main stage. We brought our competitors to come speak on the stage who were kind of starting to get into this ABM space. So we brought them for every one of the conference because we believe that there's no category of one. And if for this to exist, we have to have more people than us talking about it. So we invited influencers, we invited media folks, we invited competitors, we invited investors. And we just went about just doing this event in four different cities with four different types, like the same groups, but like four different from that region. So that by the time we're done by the first year, pretty much the market was already talking about this as this the new big idea. And before we knew, it became a category that Forrester and Gartner started to recognize as the emerging category. And I feel like that event and those activities of bringing the competitor, the investors, the media, and the key influencers and everything and giving them the stage as opposed to keeping the stage for ourselves really helped us to establish that this category is for real in the first year. Uh, and I think that was really, really important for us. There are not many marketers that can claim to have been in the creation of a category. So that's that's huge. I'm kind of curious, Sangram. Uh, so I, I, I know there's people listening to this right now that are likely asking the question, what does this have to do with me because I'm not in sales or I'm not in marketing? Um, for those people asking that question, how would you make this topic relevant to them? Well, I mean, I look at all of this as pure being very, very aware of what's going on and taking action when you could just do the status quo. I, I really feel that's ultimately what decides the destiny of a lot of us is is take action. You know, as uh, you know, as we all know, right? Everywhere in the history from David uh, and Goliath's story, when David took action, um, that led to what it is. He believed in it and he took action for it. And I feel like every moment and everybody listening to this right now, there's probably something that we're putting off. There's probably something that we're saying, well, only if somebody else could do this, then we can compete or we can get into the game. Or only if somebody did that, or, or only if my spouse or somebody, like they're just, everybody has an excuse ready. And I have hundreds of them ready, you know, every single day of doing something or not doing something. And I feel like this whole experience for me, Amir, has been really heartwarming because I've been, I've been always throughout my life, this, is, this happened when I was 36. As, so it's like, as more, most people say, wow, like I had two kids and my second kid was just born. I'm 36, first time founders, all those problems that we had. But the only thing that actually felt like was, I, I, I always felt like everything was in our favor until I started to count. And I didn't count all these things that were against us until maybe three years into it. So what's interesting is you, I look at it now and I'm honestly scared, like how in God's world, how did we do it? Like if, if somebody would have told me that at that time, like, hey, you're gonna fail because you have nothing that is a recipe for success. I think I would have probably just curled up and not didn't do it. But for whatever reason, 
I had no idea. Like, oh, you need all these things. Oh, you need to have like yeah, we just did it every single day, put one step ahead of another, one step ahead of another. And all I could say is that there's a time. So I think for people who are not in marketing sales, I think this is not a marketing and sales story by any stretch. This is a story, I hope, um, of just the fact that whatever you believe in, and if there's a calling for you, the thing that we all need that I didn't have before I did this was the courage to take action. And if people can have and, and just take that small step, and that's 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 more than enough. If my wife didn't take that step that day and say, go do it, you have one year, I wouldn't be talking about this story. If, if we didn't make as a co-founder a decision that, hey, let's invite our competitors to speak, uh, which nobody really does, then we would not have had a category to talk about. If if we wouldn't have done the book, we wouldn't have been a thought leader. And all those things are 100% not part of any traditional playbook of marketing sales at all. This all comes from a part of like, we need to do whatever it takes to survive and do it the best way we possibly can. And we're just going to take action. And if we fail, it's okay. We figured out something that doesn't work and we move on. But we will never sit around and hope for things to be all right. We're going to take action. And I think, I hope that's really the big, big idea or the bold idea out of this. Well, that is a bold idea. I, I'm kind of curious, Sangram. I mean, I don't want to walk away from this conversation about your business just assuming that you started out, you took a bunch of action and you had a lot of success. I'm guessing there were times of setback and discouragement and failure. And, and I'm just wondering, you know, was there a time when, you know, you really had to come face to face with God and really challenge him on this calling that you felt, you know, you had on your life? And, and uh, you know, how did you wrestle through that, if, if so? It's a lot of, lot of different things, man. I mean, there was a time where we, were, we knew as founders that we, we were not going to be able to make the next pay cycle if we didn't have the money in the bank from our VCs. And that was a real challenge. That was a real thing that we had to go through, keeping our heads and heads above and keeping the team motivated and going back at home and not being able to sleep because you know that so-and-so is going to have a, have a baby or so-and-so is getting married and we don't have an answer for them, but we think we're going to have an answer for them before the next paycheck. And just being on the knees and asking God to say, God provide for us. Uh, we think we've done everything we possibly can to do what you have empowered us to do. But at this point, we got nothing. And now obviously it's only your will is what's going to take this forward. So it, there's been countless moments like that where it was doing everything we possibly can with the best intentions and what we felt was God's calling. And then going back home, not knowing if the next day is going to be as good as we thought it was going to be. But it somehow always prevailed. God always provided and, and things happened. But I, I would say that they were not, not just one or two. There were several. There were moments where even now, right, for example, we still invite our competitors to come and speak. And I have to defend that, hey, that's a good idea because it allows us to establish the category and a narrative in the marketplace like nobody else. But I have to compete now with with a completely different, much bigger marketplace. And I have to constantly let, let do the thing that I feel God has put in my heart is the right thing to do and challenge it because it would be so easy to now say, Oh, it's okay. Now we can just going to have our own conference, our own thing. And mm -hmm. we're going to take all these people away who have trusted us and been with us, even though in, in a small, large way. So in many ways, I think I had to constantly just go back, 
pray about it and, and get back to like, why did we do this? Where did we start? What's the most important thing? And seeking, constantly seeking God's will to the best of our ability, because we just don't know his big picture and every like yeah. purity and everything, but constantly seeking God's will. And if there's anything, uh, w- one of the things that I think I got really into is journaling. Mm-hmm. And now I've been journaling for about four years or so. So almost all the time since like this, that was my therapy for it because that allowed me to do it. Actually, me and my son now, he's a year and a half, he's like nine years old now. So he and I do journaling together almost three or four nights together. So it's completed, it's, it's a lot of fun. I can it get is. into it later if you want. But that journaling was the best important thing because I could go back and look at the dates and time where I was bleeding inside of me and so were my co-founders and so so were some of the leadership people and it was hard to to look into the eyes of people when we know that we may not have an answer for them two weeks from now yeah yeah those are always scary times when you're uncertain you know whether you can even keep things going talk about what's the next thing you're really trusting god for in your business or your personal life or what are you putting your faith to work in you know right now i mean the uh, me and my wife uh, went through through all of this journey, like being very transparent about it. It was a tough journey. In spite of her supporting me so much, I felt like I fell in this this wave of trying to be everything and all with all the travel, all the work. I felt like I lost sight of what's truly important at home. Mm-hmm. And in the first two, two and a half years, because we were just out and about and I was, I felt like that's my mission. That's my commission. I'm just going and doing this and building this and this is what I'm supposed to do. And God called me for that. And I felt like I overlooked my number one priority in life. Mm-hmm. And I think what led that to happen was two years ago, so like within now we're about five years into it, but two years ago, I pretty much went from having marketing sales, customer success, and a whole bunch of people reporting into me to almost having no direct reports. And I did that because I didn't feel comfortable leading everyday operational, managerial, one-on-ones and meetings and all those things and be able to be out and traveling. It just started to cause a whole bunch of things. But it took me almost a year and a half. I would say in the last six months is when I've been more comfortable. But it took me about a year and a half to wrestle with my own insecurities and my own weakness and my own ego around all of those things. But now I think I'm, I'm I think on the other side of it where because the whole point of that decision was this would allow me to have some flexibility of dropping my kids to school or being there at home on the days when I'm not traveling and working from home and not worrying about am I am I not there with my one or my team and all those things that I had to deal with uh, I, by by moving into this very much of a hey I'm here from a vision casting perspective, I'm here for board and external support perspective, but I'm gonna be an outside facing person and that's gonna be my job, which means we're gonna need a ton of amazingly great leaders for internal facing jobs and I had to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. So what is your, what's your next kind of bold idea as you go forward here? Well, right now I feel like the, the, the biggest thing for us is to, to make sure that now, now that the category exists, now the question is we have to lead it. And we have to lead it with the same level of love and intensity that we had in the first few years. And as we get into five years, as you know, things start to kind of shake. We 
now went from three co-founders to nearly 200 people based in Atlanta and San Francisco. So figuring out how are we doing communication-wise. So a lot of it is now going to be all about execution around these things and communication both internally and externally. Um, com Company-wise, looking into a lot more acquisitions and things like that. So that's really taking a lot of my focus area. Personal-wise, since the transition of me being more of like focusing on the, the highest priority areas without having a full-time people reporting, I would be just leading projects um, that, that required much attention. I think it's, it's more of like, I want to do it with a whole lot of grace and a whole lot of truth in every single thing we do. And I think there's a lot of learnings for me to go through that. That's really commendable, Sangram. And <clears throat> we're right behind you on all of that. Um, your book, ABM is B2B. For those who are not familiar with marketing, it's account-based marketing is business to business, you know, like dissecting the uh, the acronyms there. Uh, but I know this is a new book, and I and I've read it. And this is, I mean, if you're if you're in marketing and sales, you got to pick this book up because there's really important principles in here. And I'll tell you, the stuff he's packed at the end of this book is golden. I mean, there's so many, oh, so many helpful resources. It's kind of like. This is like a, there's so many tentacles in here that you can follow and get so much education from. How can our listeners find out more about how to get a copy of your book? It's on Amazon and anywhere you could buy a book. Um, so you could look at it. And yeah, it's funny. This is probably the worst idea to come up with a book title that has two acronyms in the three words <laughs> uh, on the title. As a matter of fact, I, when I speak, I wear a shoe that says ABM is B2B. So I'm like so much into that topic. Uh, but yeah, it's available anywhere, anywhere you can uh, buy a book. Yeah, well, I love how you geek out. So you're you're in a hundred percent on this, and uh, and it excites me as well. Sangram, thanks again for being on the Bold Idea Podcast. It's great to have you a second time, and and really to kind of get behind the scenes of what it was that you created with your Terminus company, and a little bit more of the motivation there. Because we talked last time, of course, about how you interact with the team internally, which was kind of cool. But this time, I think we've taken it to a whole new level, and the the degree to which you have taken on uh, so many unknowns. I, I wanted our audience to hear that because there's important lessons, no matter what our bold idea is and what you had to share. So I want to thank you again for being on the show. Amir, uh, Larry, thank you so much for having me. Really, really excited to share and how it came about. Yeah, well, thanks again. Well, I mean, it's so, ha so good to have Sangram back on the show again. Yeah, it's real great. So I can feel like I have less understanding of marketing and sales <laughs> than I thought I did. <laughs> thanks, Sangram. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know it's, it's easy to geek out on that stuff, but I, I hope for those listeners that have made it at least to this part of the show, um, and didn't get lost in all the marketing stuff. And I realized as we were talking, there's probably some of our listeners are like, yeah, say more about that because that's kind of me. Yeah. And then there are probably some that are kind of like you going, oh, no, I was going to ask a million more questions, but I was yeah. thinking, ah, most people probably don't care as much as I do yeah. about this. Yeah. And, and there, well, okay. So there, there may be those that are like, I have no clue what that is and I have no interest in it. But I think there were some important things out of this conversation that uh, that work for any any venture that we might get into or any bold idea that we might be considering. Yeah, what did you take? Well, first of all, his risk profile. I mean, <laughs> that, that's that's crazy, right? He started talking about all this and I just had to like, jot down. I'm like, okay, if I were a venture capitalist invent, you know, funding his initiative and he did get venture money, you know, yeah. but I'm sitting here going, okay, we have known partners. They've never done a startup before. 
you know, they, they don't know if they're going to have an income. They had no funding. They had no, you know, the unproven idea in market. And, and he added to that list, right? You know, so no experience, you know, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> right? Doesn't have a marketing background. Doesn't have a marketing background. Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about that. But yeah, for sure. So, you know, you take that risk profile and you look at it and you go, okay, so I'm, I'm dissecting what he said. And here's, here's the takeaway that I have. When you have any level of risk like that, you, you need, and, and here's what I took, four things that you need to have when you've got risk. First of all, you have to have support. Yeah. <laughs> you saw his wife saying, on. I'm behind you. Yep. You know, let's, let's get, you got to have somebody important in your life who's going to be telling you, you can do this mm. when you yourself are not sure you can do this. I'll cheer you on for a year and then I'm going to start hurting you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so that brings up the second thing you need to have, right? Deadline. First, you have to have support. Then you have to have a deadline right because otherwise you're going to take on a risk profile till it kills you yep. and it may not be the smartest thing to do. So sure. having a deadline along with support, but also the thing that fueled him was conviction. He had absolute certainty that something important was being done here. Hmm. So if you go into a venture and you're going into it, eh, I'm not quite sure. Um, you know, if you don't have the conviction yeah. that Sangram had, you probably shouldn't take on the level of risk profile that he did. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you should do something a little less risky if you don't have that. St- but his strength of conviction was like, I'm putting it all on black. Yep. You know, that yep. was kind of how he's like, <laughs> and, he, and his wife's like, I'm not sure you should put it all on black, but uh, okay. You I know? think he picked a specific number, not just the color. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yep. You're right. <laughs> black black three, you yeah. know, whatever. <laughs> And uh, and so so those are the three support, deadline, conviction, but also you notice he says I started journaling and that made me really aware of a lot of what was going on. I so I think you have, to have, you have to have four those four things. You have to have awareness mm. because if you get into a venture with a risk profile that it is and you don't have enough awareness about what's going on, you're going to move from reaction to reaction to reaction. You're not going to get grounded back at the purpose, the yeah. very thing, the why you're doing something. Hmm. Then journaling does keep you centered on the why. It helps you get rid of all the dross. And we've talked a lot about journaling in the past, and I've oh, written yeah. a lot about it on my blog. But that is, uh, I think, essential, an essential ingredient. If you're going to have a risk profile like that, you got to have those four things. That's oh, what absolutely. I picked up this. I mean, you got more of it than I did. All, uh, all I had in the back of my head was you need a Spartan wife. And everything else will follow. <laughs> no, the other thing I really liked was that I, I took a note on was he says, uh, courage to take action. And for certain people, the last thing they need to do is take action. But I would say for the vast majority of people, um, especially in the entrepreneur space, they spend so much time trying to come up with the perfect plan that they never execute. And, um, and I think a part of that is uh, it is a lack of courage, you know, because unless you know it's going to work, you don't want to act on it. You don't want to take more risk. But sometimes not acting, not having the courage to take action is probably a bit more risky because the action will tell you really quickly, are you on the right path or not? But living in your head and doing blue sky meetings on a whiteboard. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Most of us don't want to take action until we think we can we can manage every possible outcome that might go against it. Yeah, as if there's a guarantee. Yeah, it, it well, as if we could actually do that. Yeah, I mean, right, it's just right. not even achievable. Right. And and it's born out of our own fear and anxiety, and yeah. it's kind of causes us to stay stuck. So absolutely, uh, that's what it's about. But you know, he brought up one other thing too. I'll just touch on briefly that I thought was really pretty smart. And really what made the difference here, you know, he talked about a cat, there's no category of one. And what he means by that mm-hmm. is, 
is in marketing speak, a category is the definition of like things. Oh, sure. And, uh, and so he's saying there's no category of one. If you're the only one in a category, then nobody knows how to relate to you. Nobody knows how to relate that product or service to any other product or service because they've never seen anything like it before. Hmm. And so the more relatable you can be to other services, the more people can see that as maybe having some validity. People don't want to do something that they can't have any experience with having done something similar in the past. We just don't move. We don't take on our own risk profile that high. Wow. So- when he said that, and, and he, he, you know, he talked about flip my funnel and making and inviting his competitors to join in, hmm. that really speaks well to the whole idea. If you're going to embrace your bold idea, think in terms of shared success. Think in terms of ways that others, that may even you may even consider them to be your competitors, might find value in what you're doing. Because when you raise the tide, all the boats go up, including your own. And yeah. that's what Sangram did. And and that's what his he and his team did by this flip the funnel conference that they put out, inviting their competitors to be part of it. Yeah. Any new unexperienced entrepreneur that I've ever talked to, most all of them are very afraid of sharing their ideas with others because they're afraid they're gonna steal them. Holy. They're afraid of competition. They're yep. afraid and Sangram says, Nope, that's not the way we're gonna do it. We're gonna invite them because that helps create credibility. Mm. And because we're leaders and we're creating credibility among our competitors, that raises our credibility. And yeah. so, and it, and it raises all the opportunities as well. So that's what he did. I applaud him for it, and it's Absolutely. a great that's, strategy. That is bold, and collaboration is a winning term. You know? I would even maybe go so far as to say that was a bold idea. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played, it was. Well, we hope, despite all the marketing geekiness here that might have been uh, on the show, maybe appealing to you or not so, we hope you enjoyed the episode and the conversation we had with Sangram. You'll find our show notes at boldideapodcast.com slash 101, because we're now like triple digits again. Hey, we're still in triple digits. That's we didn't right. regress. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if you if you like the show, leave us a comment there, or better yet, leave a review on boldideapodcast.com slash review. You'll get a chance to get out to iTunes or or uh, Google Play or wherever you uh, listen to this uh, show. And uh, again, thank you for listening. And until next time, this is Larry Gates and Armin Sadi saying so long. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com. <laughs>